Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Changes. It's me, Annie McManus. Hello all, how are you doing? I'm sitting here in my office looking out the window uh, and I can see cherry blossom. The sky is a gorgeous bright blue and it really feels like the season has officially changed. Like we're in spring, we are springing right now and I hope it's giving you all those feelings that spring can give, optimism and hope and yeah just a bit of a spring in your step as well. Last week we changed the order of the podcast to bring you a very special episode with Danila Komotovsky in Ukraine. Loads of you getting in touch to say what an inspiration he was. Emily Stevens painting on Instagram said oh Jesus just listened moving and powerful Um, and Cyan who said one of the most empowering podcasts I've heard for a while. So yeah thank you so much uh, you guys for getting in touch and for listening and for giving Danila and his story your time. This week we bring you a very different conversation with Scarlett Moffat. Now Scarlett came into our lives through Channel 4's Gogglebox series. The nation fell in love with her charm and her wit while she sat and watched tea with her parents and she's since become a much-loved staple on our TV screens. In 2016 she left her home of County Durham for Australia and was crowned Queen of the Jungle when she went in I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. After that she worked on Ant and Dec's Saturday Night Takeaway She also hosts her own podcast with her boyfriend Scott called Scarlet Muffet Wants to Believe, where she tries to convince him about conspiracy theories. And last year she became an ambassador for the Samaritans after she called them 20 times when she left I'm a Celebrity. Scarlett will soon be releasing a documentary on Channel 4 which investigates the rise of Tourette's and ticks in teenagers. She has good reason to cover a topic like this, which you will hear about in this episode. Predictably, her conversation is warm and funny and occasionally sad, but ultimately very, very uplifting just because that's the type of gal she is. Scarlett went through a lot in her life as a child, but none of it has held her back. And thank God for that. I adore Scarlett. Scarlett. She is what we call in Ireland a dote and I am delighted to welcome her to Changes. And to the podcast, Scarlett Moffat. You've been on the telly in our lives since about 2014, since when you started doing Gogglebox. How are you now in 2022? Everything's really good. It's so crazy to think I'd sort of, I'd just turned 23 when I did Gogglebox and now I'm 31. I feel like everyone's sort of been present for my changes. Sometimes that's a good thing. I think sometimes it's bad. Um, I'm just pleased that I wasn't on telly in my university days because they were wild. <laughs> so I'm pleased that I sort of had that freedom to just be me and not worry necessarily about what people were going to think or getting papped and all that stuff that comes with being on the telly. I'm pleased that mm. I had some years of just being being a bit crazy. 
<laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I'm so I'm so thankful for that. Um, where did you go to uni? I went to York. Right. I absolutely loved it. Like it was some of the best days ever and I'm still best friends with all of the girls there and yeah like the plan was to be a primary school teacher right (laughs) that was that was the plan yeah this whole sort of concept of being on the telly and stuff wasn't really it wasn't really planned but I'm I'm pleased it happened I'm really pleased. Yeah, I think a lot of people are pleased it happened. (laughs) Right, well, let's get straight to your childhood change then. So we've got lots to talk about with regards to change. And as you say, a lot of people will have seen some of the surface level changes, but there's a lot of stuff that people don't know about what happened in your life before you got to the Gogglebox era. So what was the biggest change, would you say, in your childhood? I think sort of losing the innocent naivety of nothing ever bad happens as a kid so I was I was very grateful and lucky to sort of up until I was 11 nothing really major happened there was no changes in my life you know I went to school I had friends went dancing I'd come home my mum and dad would be in I'd get made like beans on toast sometimes there was a cheeky little sausage in there you know Mm -hmm. that was sort of my life and then I turned 11 and went to secondary school that was the first big change because I wasn't the most blessed child I did have um teeth that could eat an apple through a letterbox and a mono brow like Helga Pataki so I was a target to bullies which I wasn't used to and then Mm. my dad got really pooly um just after my 11th birthday coming into sort of Christmas time uh he got skin cancer and the cancer was Uh, wrapped in his spine so I didn't really understand I just remember my family crying a lot and I remember my dad not being home and I was used to him being home all the time and my mum sitting me down and saying you know dad might not be home for Christmas and you need to really give him the biggest hug like that you've ever given him because he was going in for the operation and and I didn't understand but Then I heard my mum on the phone to my nanny saying, what will I do if he doesn't make it? And I just remember feeling like, oh, like, does this mean that I won't have my dad anymore? And, you know, it was really hard. And I sort of pretended that I didn't hear that because I also felt like I had to stay strong for my mum because actually she wasn't very strong. And I understand why she wasn't because that was someone that, you know, she's been with my dad since she was like 16. Like she's been with my dad forever. That's all she knows. And she had me to look after. And then my dad came home and that was very joyous. But I was still sort of getting over all of that sort of trauma. Sure, yeah. I just remember him being quite poorly because he had to have like, 110 stitches in his back he had to have a, a whole skin graft and but when we went on a holiday we'd tell people he got bitten by a shark he'd get some <laughs> some free drinks out of it he still had a positive on it and then I went out on my bike and um stupidly did not have a helmet on which I urge anyone to wear a helmet when they're on a bike and a car sped up behind me and hit my bike and I remember just it felt like I was sort of free falling through the air for about five minutes obviously what goes up must come down and I remember smashing my chin off the floor and my teeth 
And I didn't realise that I'd shattered my front two teeth. It sort of felt like my teeth had went through my gums. And I just remember standing up and I was actually good because I had my favourite Tammy Girl top on at the time and it was just covered in blood. I was like, not the Tammy Girl t-shirt. But I remember running up up to my house and seeing the kids and the kids in the street, Kaylee, she was called, she was trying to pick shards of my teeth up for me, bless her. I've never felt pain like it. It was awful. And then I was told that I'd lost the nerve in my right tooth. So I had to have these fake teeth. And because I'd lost the nerve in my tooth, it meant that I had a black tooth, which didn't help the bully situation. When you had the accident, right? Yeah. What happened to the people in the car? Nothing. They just they just sped off. That still upsets me, I think, because I, I was always quite little as a kid as well. So I always looked younger, you know, than than my right. age and you were 11 so and you I was 11 nine or something yeah so I did look about eight or nine and so I remember thinking like as I got older I can't believe that they just drove off they didn't stay to check I was okay like I was on a bike I could have been quite far from home I could have not been able to get up but yeah they just they just sped off mm, that's really shocking really mm. shocking I can't imagine what your parents must have thought about that too I don't even think they took everything in. They were just yeah, in sure. shock that there was so like so much blood. Even now, I'm like, it was just two teeth that smashed. So the initial injury was just teeth. It wasn't anywhere else in yeah, your Yeah, I have got a scar on my chin because I did right. hit my chin quite hard. Um, but no, it was, it was the teeth. I hated my teeth. And I remember thinking, oh, this could be good because I could get new teeth. You know, right. in my head, I was like, oh, this might actually be a good thing. This might be a blessing. But obviously it wasn't. But I was yeah. trying to, in my head, think, oh, well, you know, maybe this has happened because, you know, someone's looking down on me and they know how many times I say, I wish my teeth weren't so goofy so I didn't get picked on. So then mm. part of me felt like I'd done it to myself. You know, part of me was like, you know, maybe that because I have talk about it all the time that I'm like, I just wish my teeth would not be like this that I'd done it so initially you're in school now you're in secondary school yeah and did you go back to school after the accident yeah I did actually like so I sort of went and they put little caps on my teeth before I could get full teeth <laughs> I don't know what the word is full yeah. elongated teeth which I'd always loved my name up until that moment because I got caps on I got called Captain Scarlet all the time <laughs> and up until that Point, I'd always loved my name. But I was like, oh, you would call me Scarlet, wouldn't you, ma'am? <laughs> and then one day I was just talking away at myself in my bedroom. And then my mouth just drooped to the side. And I remember standing in front of the mirror, literally screaming at myself, trying to get my face symmetrical. And that's when we found out that I had Bell's palsy. And uh, they think that that was from the sort of trauma of what had happened. That was very sad because I remember getting checked for leukemia and that was the only time I've ever seen my dad cry because they had to check me for all these things. And and I remember thinking it must be serious because my dad's crying and I've never seen him mm. cry before. He's like the strong one of the family. I think now yeah. they're more up to speed with sort of why people get Bell's palsy, but... I was so anxious. It's only now me and my family talk about it that I realised I probably did have anxiety and panic attacks probably from the age of 11 because I right. then, from all of that, I I had sudden onset tics. 
so I, I would sort of like blink lots and I'd jolt my sort of right shoulder mm. have these weird breathing things but <laughs> no one really knew about ticks in my house sure. the only Tourette's that we'd heard of is where you see people on the telly effing and jeffing so we had no idea so my mum and dad just thought I was they feel so bad about this but they did think I was just looking for attention because as soon right. as I'd start doing it they'd be like Scarlett you need to stop breathing like that I couldn't help it I think because my dad was pooly I got really into looking at like the way your body works and I remember sort of feeling like my eyes weren't wet enough so I'd have to blink loads or you know my lungs didn't feel like they had enough breath so I would do these weird yeah breathing ticks but yeah when I look back now I just want to like hug my 11 year old self yeah like when you zoom out on it and you look at going through that trauma about your dad first and foremost and that fear of him leaving and again as a child you can't process stuff so you don't understand it all of these scary thoughts are kind of consuming you and then they manifest in their really funny little ways yeah as a kid don't they and then the accident and the confusion it's a lot to take in isn't it it was a lot in a short space of time and like like I say I'm sort of grateful in a way that like up until then nothing yeah you know nothing bad had happened so then I was like oh like yeah I did feel like I was very naive to the world Mm. Until all of that happened. Yeah, I bet. I bet it will change you in many ways. So the Bell's palsy happened just one day. You said you looked in the mirror and your face had changed. Did it stay that way? Does it come and go? How does it manifest? So I had to take like steroids and I spoke to a speech therapist. But my face isn't symmetrical anymore. And if I'm very tired, Mm. it is worse. It's evident that I've had Bell's palsy. You know how nobody likes taking photos the selfie way because you never look quite yeah. symmetrical mine sometimes it looks like I'm doing like an Elvis eyebrow I'm like because oh. <laughs> right. it's so much higher than the other one um so yeah that'll sort of never go and I was told unfortunately for me I can't ever have like Botox because wow. <laughs> in case it causes droop eye which I was good about <laughs> Now I'm in my 30s, I'm like... Oh. God damn it. Well, then you never know yeah. technology, Scarlett. They might invent something yeah, new. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were 11 and then the tick started and the Bell's palsy was still a thing. Was it still there in your face? Yeah, it started to go. The steroid treatment worked quite right. well, actually. And then... Um, I just sort of grew to like my face, I suppose. Because yeah. I went through a stage where I didn't want to look in the mirror because it was a big change. It was a shock because I didn't look like myself. So my mum would make me like look in the mirror and she'd be like, you look pretty today. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And she's like, no, you need to say it. So I think my mum helped in that oh, sense that, that I sort of was <laughs> sort of forced to look in the mirror and tell myself that I was pretty so. That definitely helped. Okay, good. (laughs) And then with regards to the change that these injuries meant for you as a girl in school, what happened? Oh, well, I ended up actually changing secondary school because I loved learning. Like I've always been someone who's very inquisitive and, you know, and asks a lot of questions. And I was set to do really well in my GCSEs, but 
like the teachers would let me out 10 minutes early from school so I didn't get beat up. I was one of those kids. I didn't actually tell my parents because they were so proud of how well I was doing at school. I felt embarrassed at the time. You know, I remember a few times sort of eating my dinner in the toilets and being like, oh, this is just crap. <laughs> this is, well, yeah. you know, just wanting a bit of a break, really. And then when I started being let out of school early, my dad actually, one day, he got home from work early and he seen me wandering around Asda Car Park. So when I got in, he was like, have you skived school? Like, have mm. you not been to school today? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I've just seen you do laps of Asda Car Park. Like, I've been watching you. And then it just all came out and... I think my mum and dad were quite angry at the school a little bit because they were like, you know, some classes I'd be on my own, like I'd do it in isolation with like, in inverted commas, naughty kids. There was a couple of other people who were bullied who they'd just shove in there and be like, here's a worksheet, get it done, you shouldn't be disrupted now. So yeah, that was one of the best changes ever was moving secondary schools because it felt like this brand new start. It felt like I could be a brand new scarlet. Mm. Nobody had seen me have the Bell's palsy or the caps on my teeth. I could just go in and be this person that I wanted to be. Yeah. And I'm so pleased I did because I've got like a lifelong friend from it. I went, ended up going to uni with her and I'm godparent to her kids. So yeah, I found like a best friend at that secondary school, which is yeah. good. And I, again, I really appreciate why your parents would be livid hearing these stories from yeah. you. And the teachers would let you out early from school but not inform your parents what was going on. What yeah. the hell? Yeah, I know. I think that's why I wanted to become a teacher as well, because I just sort of remember feeling really let down. Yeah. You know, I remember going to the head and pouring my heart and soul out. I think the worst day was uh, one of the people who bullied me had kicked me in a puddle and I was just drenched, like I was just properly drenched. And I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like, I re- I'm here. I really want to learn. Like, I actually want to do well. And actually, when I wrote my first book mm. and it became a Sunday Times bestseller, yeah. not bragging, just a fact. Listen, listen, <laughs> brag. I was brag. I was over the moon. And I actually um, wrote an inscription on one of my books and said, never give up on kids. And then I wrote a quote that my dad always says, which is, Bullies are like sandpaper. The more they wear you down, the more polished you become. And I wrote that in, a, in my book. And I went up to my old school and I said, this is for the head teacher because she's still the head. And they were like, oh, we're thrilled that you hear your scout. And I was like, yeah, can you pass that on for me? Oh and I walked away, God. literally, you know, like that breakfast club moment where you yeah. suck the air. <laughs> yeah. Don't you forget about me. Yeah, I was like, yes. Oh, my God. It's just infuriating. The whole country has seen how bright and curious and smart and funny and how you are as a person. You know, you just shine. And the fact that the teachers couldn't see that or just couldn't be arsed to protect that in you. Um, yeah, it's just desperately sad. I guess hearing that it really makes me just in awe of your strength in that scenario because it would have been very easy at the time to just give up. And in terms of moving schools, yeah. was that you or was that your parents? It was more a joint thing. Like I actually remember sitting and writing a list with them of yeah. pros and cons. And my mum and dad were like, if the positives outweigh the negatives, Scarlett, this yeah. is a no-brainer. You know, I know it's going to be hard, but you've got to do it. 
I think sometimes there's this big thing of feeling like a failure if you give up. But I think sometimes the best thing you can do is give up sometimes, you know, like I gave up and moved on. Like sometimes you've got to do that. I wouldn't even see it as giving up. I would see it as cutting your losses. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a difference there. It's like everyone there has given up on you. So fuck them. You're off. It's kind of different. Like I totally get why you did it. So what age were you when you did it? I was 13. Wow. It was hard. Yeah, teen years. But I was very lucky that... uh, over the six weeks holidays, yeah. puberty hit. And I actually wasn't as, as fugly as I was before. It's like, yeah, I was like, you have had a, a little bit of a glow. You know, I, I, for me, I, I felt like, yeah, I felt like a model walking into that school. <laughs> <laughs> and then in terms of your learning, how did that go in the school? Yeah, I ended up getting like 13 GCSEs, like wow. A star to B. I just loved learning, you know, it was, and it, it did feel a bit of like a fuck you to the teachers that I did so well, mm. you know, cause I was like, I did this without without your help. Yeah. You know, this is these teachers, this is these kids in this school, like I didn't need ya. It is all cause I still live in the village that I grew up in. And sometimes I do see the people that used to bully me. And it's so funny because it's as if, their minds have been like, you know, in like uh, Men in Black, where they have the little thing where yeah. it changes the mind. It raises their like, memory, yeah. Yeah, because they'll say, oh, I always tell my kids that we're friends. And, and I'm like, friends? Like, you actually made my life a living hell. I did actually pull one of them in Asda before. Uh, it was when I, I just won I'm a Celebrity. Right. And uh, yeah, I was in Asda and the, this girl came up to me and she was like, oh, you know, I've got two young girls now and I keep telling them like we were friends and if she can do it, you can do it. And I just went, I really hope your little girls never meet anybody like you when they're at school. And I just walked out. It felt like a my mic drop, drop moment. Oh yeah, but it was a basket. God. What did her, <laughs> did you drop your basket? Yeah, I just, I just went. I I did go an hour later because I did actually need shopping. <laughs> but it was but worth thought, it. I thought I can't not leave because you know that awkward moment where you keep bumping into the same person in the aisles. I thought it won't have the same impact if I'm just like, it's me again. (laughs) Oh my God, Scarlett, what a moment. So yeah, dropped my basket left. So you mentioned I'm a celeb. That is the biggest adult change, right, in your life? Yes, definitely 100%. Tell me about that. First of all, like the immediate effects of that win, the fame, the scrutiny, like how did that affect you? What age were you as well? 2016, you would have been what, 26? 26, yeah, 26. So, well, because Gogglebox came about as a favour to a friend. So I was good friends with a guy called Tommy at at, uh, college and he rang me one day and said, uh, oh, I've got this researcher job. And I was like, I thought he was a scientist. I was like, what are you researching? (laughs) He was like, no, it's a telly term. I was like, oh, right. He said, I'm doing a show where people watch the telly. I said, uh And he went, no, that's it. And I went, bloody hell, they'll make programmes about anything, (laughs) won't they? I was like the proper grasping at straws now, like. And he said, hey, you know a few people. Do you know any families who would audition for us? So I rang around. Everyone was like, absolutely not. That sounds horrific. <laughs> and Tommy was like, well, can you and your mum, like Betty and Mark, 
audition and I was like well no because we don't want to be on the telly and he went yeah yeah it's just doing me a favor like so it looks like I'm doing my job properly so my mum came yeah. home uh during a dinner break and Gogglebox came around watched us watch a bit of telly me and my dad had an argument about the one bedroom tax and then <laughs> they left <laughs> and then they were like yeah we want you on the show and because we got 50 quid each and a free takeaway we were like yeah so then when I got offered to do I'm a Celebrity, I was like, hang on a minute. This is like real life TV. Because Gogglebox yeah. never, it didn't feel like telly, you know? like Did it take a while for it to really yeah, ramp like, up into being a big show? I mean, I think I did about 12 series, you know? Right. And I think it was only sort of halfway through. I could still get on the bus and no one would know who okay. I was and stuff. But yeah, it just started to, to take off. And then... I remember chatting and like saying to my mum, but what happens if I go first? And she was like, so, and I was like, yeah, you're right, actually. I was like, I get to go to Australia, somewhere I never thought I would get to go in my lifetime. I just hated the C word, the celebrity word, because I just <laughs> didn't feel like it. I thought, I you hate, know, again, yeah. the imposter syndrome kicking in of, I'm going to walk in and everyone's going to be like, who's this chick here? <laughs> and then in my head, I mean, Anyone from the north loves Ant and Deck. You know, if we have two poached eggs in our house, we call them an Ant and Deck on toast. <laughs> you know, like they're royalty. <laughs> they're like absolute royalty. And it, in my head, like I had all these cool things I was going to say to them. And I remember them taking the blindfold off and walking towards Ant and Deck and just going, I used to love Wonky Donkey. <laughs> I was like, you blew it. You one chance, Scarlet. But. I think I almost, when I came out of the jungle, wanted to go back in because you felt safe in there. You know, you were away from, you right. didn't know what anyone was thinking of you. And then when I came out, the first time I ever felt properly famous, and it's the only time I've ever felt properly famous, I got a photo shoot outside the Versace with my crown on and boy George was there. And he was like, oh, hi, Scarlett. And tweeted a picture being like, oh, sat on my balcony watching Scarlett. Have a f and I was like, boy, George knows who I am. <laughs> like, this is, this is insane. <laughs> and I think, oh my God. I wish I'd enjoyed it more. You know, I think I've, when I right. speak to a lot of people like Stacey and Vicky who won and Joe, I wish I'd enjoyed it. But you're just right. thrown and catapulted into this crazy world where everyone wants to know the ins and outs of your fart. And, I, and I'm and i really boring, so I just was like, I don't understand. Like, I remember not even being able to take, like, my little dog for a walk without sort of getting papped, or all of a sudden I was under scrutiny for what I looked like, and I, this word role right. model kept coming up, and I was like, oh, it felt like a big responsibility. And I yeah. remember this article on, it was on the front of a magazine and it was like, rhinoplasty surgeon says Scarlet's gone too far. And this is the nose I was born with. If it wasn't, fair enough as well, because it's my body, my choice. But, you know, this is actually totally, yeah. the nose that came out with of my mum. People saying, oh yeah, I've got a nose like Michael Jackson and saying I was a bad role model for having all this surgery, which I wasn't having. And Scarlett, where were you seeing all this? Was this all coming through on social media or how were you seeing this? You know what, it was more on Twitter 
and in magazines and my nanny bless her would sort of ring me and be like are you okay and I'd be like yeah and she'd be like because there's this awful article and I'd be like oh I haven't seen that one actually nan (laughs) yeah cheers nan yeah yeah but I remember just sort of locking myself away for for quite a while and every time I'd sort of go to go at the front door, it was as if my hand wasn't able to push the handle down. I was like, because I lived in London, I'd moved to London. That was a big change. You know, I'm from a village. Yeah, so what insane. compelled you to do that? Why did you want to move to London? And when did you move to London? I got offered Ant and Dec Saturday Night Takeaway. And Is this after the I'm a Celeb win? Yeah, so literally right. a, a month. So I had four right, weeks shit. sort of okay. come out of the jungle and straight right. into doing, that's really intense yeah and yeah. so I had like a couple of weeks to find a flat there was just me and my little chihuahua bunny and I was like in London sometimes I wouldn't leave the house and I'd just tell my mum and dad that I was working I'd lie like I'd actually outright lie and Skylar had you been living with your mum and dad before that yeah yeah so that yeah. is a big change you've li- been with them all your life and yeah this is the first time you're, you're well you had uni did you move out for uni I had uni but I would go home every weekend <laughs> yeah okay it's the furthest away you'd ever been yeah. from them and you know it's only two and a half hours on the train but that's a long time when if you feel sad yeah I just remember feeling like I wanted to disappear for a while and that's when I called Samaritans and and I'm an ambassador for them now and it really feels full circle. And I always say to people, like, genuinely, I wish people had seen sort of the state that I was in to how I am now because I just want to say to anyone that's feeling rubbish, like, it really does get better. I'm not saying yeah. every day is rainbows and unicorns, but it really, really does get better. I know sometimes when you're at that bottom of the pit, you can't even see the light at the top, you know, you're searching for it, but, like, it does. Was there a catalyst? Did something happen? happened where you were like I have to make this call now yeah I remember sat I'm not like a massive drinker and I I haven't actually told any anyone this and I remember sitting and I'd sort of like drank like a bottle of red wine which it might not be a lot to some people but for me I was like and I remember just sitting crying listening to Coldplay and I was like this needs to change but I don't know how I felt like I was stuck in a rut and then I would get into the frame of mind of which I know now is stupid but I would read the comments like on the Daily Mail website and you know I just felt like why have I been given this opportunity and what should have been such a momentous occasion (laughs) yeah like just didn't like I just felt like I couldn't do anything right and I felt like I was letting everyone down like my friends and family because you know I'd I'd won this amazing show and I still wasn't happy and I was like then I'd feel guilty I'd be like Scarlett Moffat what is wrong with you like why can't you just be happy but I realize now you know it, it doesn't matter about all those things like it was probably the stress I was under and do you know what? I'm so grateful, like for Ant and Deck, because I didn't have anyone in London, and mm. they just took me under the wing, and I'd go for Sunday dinner with them, and they'd give me mm. amazing advice, and you know, like I felt like I had a friend. Their accent and everything, I felt like home when I was yeah. in their presence. You know, either when we were filming or we'd go to Deck's house or whatever, or we'd go to the pub. Like I felt like I was home. That alongside yeah. calling Samaritans and openly speaking about my feelings, like, yeah, finally felt like, yay, she's getting back to her old self again. Yeah, yeah. What you went through, no human being would be able to get through that without feeling the way that you felt. It's totally absurd. Celebrity itself as a thing is so absurd, isn't it? And the irony of like going in there 
and being called a celebrity and not feeling comfortable with it. Yeah. But actually you being blocked from everyone's perceptions of you and thoughts of you in there and having the time of your life yeah. and then coming out as a bona fide, like certified celeb <laughs> yeah. and then hating your life because <laughs> celebrity life is fucking mad no one can prepare you you know itv were great and like they offer you like counselors and stuff like that but as much as people were saying this is going to be insane for you i don't think the gravity of it had actually hit us it it hit us like a brick wall i was like oh wow like this is this is hard work i feel like i can manage it really well now i feel like yeah i just really like give less shits (laughs) about everything it's that isn't it and it's also having a support structure around you and not being on your own and probably knowing not to read the comments right yeah never read the comments and as well i did i did this thing where i'd follow people on instagram that like made me feel crap about myself (laughs) so then as soon as i'd wake up i'd be scrolling through these people who just look like they were living the dream and as soon as you like unfollow those people you're like oh actually Everyone isn't living a perfect life. That's why I try and be quite real on my social media because it does have an impact on people's mental health. So I do try and, you know, do the whole no makeup thing and see if I'm having a crappy day. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's good. And it's funny, like even doing this research for this, for interviewing you, like when you see you on the mail online now or whatever, you're on there for being real. (laughs) It's really interesting. It's like Scarlett Moffat shows real life holiday snaps in Dubai. (laughs) And it's like you in a swimsuit in a pool, just being you. And it's like, but that's newsworthy because you don't have any makeup on. It's Also, I feel like as well, like people need to stop thinking people who were fat are courageous for wearing a swimsuit like we're also just have a body (laughs) we just want to go swimming but you know when people like you're so brave and I'm like no I'm not brave like people who are key workers are brave like I'm just sticking a swimming cozy on mate (laughs) we need to just chill out Why did you move back to Durham then? Um, I I just realised I couldn't do life without without the people who I love closest to us. You know, I think um, it was just too big of a change. I think maybe if I'd come from Newcastle, like an actual city, I might have done a right. bit longer in London. But I am from like a pit village. You know, mm. like all of my family live within like... 10 minutes of each other it is very sort of like living in ye olde days when no one knocks on your door they just come in for a cup of tea and I'd never had to schedule in having tea with friends before you know and when I was in London I remember saying like oh do you want to go out for food and they'd be like yeah I'm free a week on Wednesday and I'd be like oh no I I mean now (laughs) you know I miss that sort of sense of urgency of like I'm feeling a bit crap like should we go out and like that disappeared in London because everyone's so busy and so yeah I just missed home comforts I feel like Miley Cyrus I feel like I've got the best of both worlds (laughs) I come up here stick my wellies on walk my dog and then I go to London and I'm like yay jazz hands (laughs) it's perfect it's perfect Um, what have you learned about yourself Scarlett with regards to you on the telly like as you say you never planned to be on the tv it kind of happened to you which in my opinion is why you're so good because you didn't have this big strategized agenda you're just you 
And it's remarkable how little you see of people being really themselves on telly. But what have you learned about yourself? I've massively learned, I would say, in the last couple of years that I'm all right being me. Yeah. You know, I felt like I tried to mould myself into what I thought people would want me to be. Mm. You know, even in the sort of way that I dressed and just sort of every aspect of my life. Whereas now I'm like, you know, it's okay if people don't particularly like me. It's a bonus if they do. Like, you know, I think I've always been a people pleaser. And I used to think if you didn't give a shit, it meant that you didn't care. But it doesn't. I really care. But I just care about the things that matter. I don't focus on the negativity. Mm. And I've got into this mindset as well. When I do sort of get hate online, I actually reach out to those people and, you know, I give them the number for Samaritans. I ask if they're okay. Because I think I've never been in a place in my life where I've wanted to project that much hate onto people that I've wanted to, you know, call them names publicly. And what have you found their responses when you do that? I'm so sorry. I'm not in a good place. You get the odd a-hole. But 99.9% of people are like, I'm so sorry. Like, thank you. And I'm like, look, if if you want friends if you want in to chat to people being in this sort of negativity club isn't the one you know like there's other places that you can go to find help or to meet friends and stuff so Mm. and I I actually do enjoy sometimes my nanny especially will go what you being nice to them for they're awful and I'm like but they're not trolls I feel like we use the word trolls as if they're these mythical creatures they're not they're actual just sad people you know, yeah. I'm not saying what they do is okay, but I do think a lot of the time it isn't their fault. I do feel sorry for them. Last change, the change you'd like to kind of make for yourself moving forwards, please. I would like to change my perception of myself. I think I need to own my space more how do you mean i'm doing sort of more passion projects this year in terms of career Mm. so i'm doing documentaries which is really hard i've got a newfound respect for louis theroux and stacy dooley they're so difficult but to feel confident enough to not apologize i feel like sometimes i almost apologize for reaching career goals i play them down i'm like oh yeah so i'm doing a documentary and like oh well, it just happened by chance rather than just going i'm doing a documentary and i'm really excited about it yeah. you know i just want to own my own space more and have that have that confidence yeah like talking about that documentary so much of the conversations you have on this podcast when we talk about change a lot of it is the idea of something bad happening to you like a change that initially is something that you're not expecting and not wanting in your life and then yeah. being able to use that change and turn it into something really positive and that's what you've done for this new documentary you're doing for channel four right tell me about that yeah so that is actually about there's been like a sudden surge of onset ticks with young girls especially sort of age 13 so they used to sort of be around five cases a year and now they're seeing around five cases a month sometimes a week this is what we're investigating we're trying to figure out if it's to do with social media the stresses of that the stresses of lockdown 
yeah. and and COVID, it's been really interesting and a completely new take on TV. I'm sort of used to studio floor, yeah. sort of, you know, reading off OQ style. And this is, I absolutely love it because I just get to chat to lovely people yeah. all day. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I can imagine you'd be amazing at it. I can't Thank wait to you. watch it. And I presume you're using your own experiences in terms of being able to empathise with these people that you're talking to and going into it having had your experience, it must be helpful. It's almost been a tool that I can use to sort of get people on side because it is hard talking about personal things, especially sort of around illness and anxiety. And so, yeah, it's been nice. As soon as I share my story, I feel like then it opens up the room for people to tell theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the idea of being yourself. Yeah. I read somewhere about your approach to your current boyfriend. Tell me about how that happened with him in terms of you just being you. Well, I've actually, I've known Scott since I was like 17. Yeah. And we did meet in real life. um, But I did comment on his Facebook picture of him and his dog. And I put Q and the dog. (laughs) Connie's that, like for everyone to see publicly. And then I sort of sit into his messages and he was just chatting for ages. And I was like, Scott, are you going to ask me on a date or what? Like, I think we should go out because he's a police officer and I hadn't seen him in a while. And I had this weird pap hanging outside my house. And Scott was actually one of the police that came to deal with that. No way. <laughs> He'd also done a job and I, I didn't realise it was him when someone wanted CCTV of someone's shed getting broken into as well. But I, I remember seeing him and being like, I don't know if it was the uniform or what, but I was like, he is so fit. Oh my God. And then, yeah, just worked my magic. But we did know each other for years, but yeah, I was quite forthright with him actually. Yeah. And I'm never normally like that. I think I must have known. Yeah. I read <laughs> somewhere that your mum and dad were like, just be yourself this time. Just be yeah. you. Yeah, and I I always sort of try and be TV Scarlet. You know, I feel like I've got to be entertaining. Yeah. And I wasn't entertaining (laughs) on the date with Scott. I I, I was just myself and we spoke about aliens and stuff. I'm obsessed with aliens. And I thought, no, I'm going to show you my weirdness straight away. Yeah. And if it's not for you, fair enough. But I just felt like I was sick of dating the same sort of, asshole really yeah and I, I think partly that was my fault because I portrayed myself to be this cool person that I'm not yeah and now like one of my favorite things to do is literally watch RuPaul's Drag Race with Scott eating a kebab you know and like it there's nothing glamorous about it all but that is my happy place <laughs> that's love that's romance it is love <laughs> Thank you so much to Scarlett Muffet for that lovely conversation. I had such a smile on my face all day afterwards. And do go check out that documentary. It's called Scarlet Investigates, looking at the rise of Tourette's and ticks in teenagers. It's going to be out this spring on Channel 4. 
And Scarlett mentioned the Samaritans and what they did for her around her experience of bullying. Just a reminder of their number. If you need them, if you're feeling isolated or alone, you can contact them for free on 116123. 116123. Also check the show notes for details. And I wanted to highlight another episode of Changes for you. If you liked this one, uh, you might like my conversation with Lisa Nealon, which was from last year. Lisa was left with a stammer after an accident and she tells us a story of growing up and becoming a mother and bringing up a child with a chronic stammer and how she managed to navigate and eventually overcome that stammer. After our chat in this episode, Scarlett said she had met Lisa too and uh, she agreed with me in how utterly amazing Lisa is. So yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to go listen to that. Next week, I will be speaking to Mark Ronson, music producer extraordinaire who moved to America as a child and has gone on to achieve incredible success in the world of music. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. Take care, you lot. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.